If you have your Bibles today, um, I want you to turn uh, to the book of Proverbs again. And uh, today we're going to get into Proverbs chapter 11. Now, I got to tell you, I have been waiting for Proverbs chapter 11 ever since we got into the book of Proverbs. And I know I had to do all my other 11 chapters and everything. But I, I, I want to tell you today that uh, we're going to spend a little time on Proverbs chapter 11 over the next couple of weeks. Because if there was ever one verse that in my mind, anyhow, totally summed up the Christian life and the Bible and all that you and I have to do to learn it and to have a victorious Christian life. If there's one verse anywhere that gives you the fundamental, this is what you got to have and this is what you got to do, uh, it's this verse. Without a doubt, this, is, this one will be the key to our successful Christian life. In fact, really, whether uh, <coughs> you're in the world or whether you're <coughs> not in the world, it's the key to any success anybody has in anything they do in life. This is a powerful concept, and I want to talk about it in a couple of different formats over the next couple of weeks. I want you to, uh, I want us, when we leave this verse, I want you to thoroughly understand everything about it, to see it. Uh, and in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1, it deals with the biblical principle of having a balance in our life. And uh, keeping and getting a balance and keeping that biblical balance in everything that we do. And I'm going to tell you right now, and I'm going to tell you throughout our whole study here, uh, there's nothing harder uh, for a Christian to do than to keep that balance. Uh, A balance in your life is the absolute key to everything. And you're going to see it and completely understand it. And I'm going to work you through it from the top to the bottom over the next couple of weeks. And Proverbs 11.1 says, A false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. Now, Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus, and we do love you today. Thank you for those that made it out, and uh, Lord, we thank you for getting everybody here safe. We pray you'll get us home safe, and as we endeavor to go out and minister to you for you this afternoon, Father, we ask you to do that. And Lord, uh, we do love you, and we just pray now, Father, that you'll bless this time. Uh, In Jesus' name, for sake we ask it. Amen. Now, we have been talking about through Proverbs, We've been talking about, you know, the, the world system. Almost every week it comes up because we're talking about a foolish man and a wise man. The foolish man is someone who gets caught up in the world. The wise man is someone who gets caught up in the Word, the Word of God. And uh, we, uh, we've been talking about the world system and how we as God's people literally need to stay away from it. And in time, we, we also know uh, that the world will take us away from God and all that He has for you. Last week, we talked about the great word, overcome. And I showed you and talked about how the fact that when you got saved, uh, you really have overcome the world. And uh, you have the ability now to live the victorious Christian life. Most Christians don't. But that doesn't mean that they don't have the ability to. It just simply means that they choose not to. When you got saved, in God's mind, you have overcome everything in the world. And as long as you understand that concept and you apply that concept... And we preach it about it all the time. Uh, but when you don't, uh, then in time the world's going to swallow you up. Now, I want to I take this thing, this verse, completely apart today in every facet, every concept, also next week and probably the week after, maybe even beyond that. But I want you to understand. I, for me, I have to simplify things. I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I don't understand complex things. So the way I understand them is by taking apart. Unfortunately, I can't always get it back together, but at least I can get it apart. 
And I want to take this concept of Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1, of a false balance as an abomination to the Lord and a just way to his delight, and I want to, I want to lay it out for you in, in all aspects. Now, here's what you got. We talk about the world. We talk about the world being a bad thing. We talk about God's people getting swallowed up by the world or getting back, going back to the world. But fundamentally, the problem with the world and the world system is simply the fact that the world is out of balance. That's the problem. And you remember now, he said a false balance is an abomination. That's, an, that's a very interesting word. It's a key word in understanding what we're going to talk about, especially the world system. Abomination. Abominable nations is where it comes from. Back in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was told to stay away from all the abominable nations. The nations that would, in everything that they did, everything that they would do, would take them away from God and everything that God was. Israel didn't listen. And Israel got sucked in and got pulled away from God, and it was a very bad time for the nation of Israel. Out of that concept comes the word abomination. And it's based on the concept of an abominable nation that destroyed uh, the nation of Israel. The Jew was told to stay separate from the other nations, but they didn't do it. They would not listen. Now, that's the fundamental thing I want you to understand about what we talk about an abomination. Now, the world system is out of balance. That's its fundamental problem. There's no balance to anything in it. So when a Christian gets back to the world, that's exactly what happens with his life. He gets unbalanced. When he starts to go from the world, from the, from the Word of God back to the world, he starts to leave the things of God that give him the perfect balance in his life. Now, we know that God has a plan. We know that God has a plan for man. And I want to tell you that God never intended for the world to be screwed up like it is today. That was not his plan. God's original, and I'm going all the way back to walk this thing through. God's original creation in Genesis chapter 1, 1 and 1, 2, it was a perfect and complete balance of everything that God was and everything that God was doing in every way. And this is so vitally important. I want to talk about this concept of God's plan and God's plan being a perfectly balanced plan, the devil coming in to throw it out of balance, but then God keeps coming back in to reinstate the balance. And we live in an unbalanced world today. The world is an absolute mess. But you know what God did? And I'm jumping ahead here for a second. But you know what God did? God made a way for you and I to have a balanced life in an unbalanced world. That's what he does. That's what he's always done. God's original creation was perfect. God's original creation was perfectly balanced. But we know what happened. We know that in Ezekiel chapter 14 and Isaiah chapter 28, Lucifer, who was the anointed cherub, wanted to revolt against God and wanted to take over God's throne. And when he did, he threw the whole second heaven into chaos. And we've been through it many, many times. Uh, Not my goal to to lay it all out for you today. The material was available and many, many things that we've done. uh, And and God has used it uh, in all that he has done to keep God's plan going. But originally, God's creation was a perfect balance in everything. Everything in its proper place and working the way God designed it to work. But when it all fell apart, 
The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 13, verse 13, and Isaiah 66, 1, when it finally all fell apart, the Bible says that the earth was knocked out of its place. God in his perfect balance had the earth where he wanted it. But when all this chaos ensued over the, the Lucifer uh, becoming the devil and destroying all God's plan or trying to destroy it, the earth, the Bible says, was knocked out of its place. And now the earth is out of balance. Now the second heaven, the universe, is out of balance. Then what did God do? Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. God brings back the balance, doesn't he? He brings Adam and Eve and puts them in a perfect garden with a perfect balance. Perfect in every way. God continued his plan for the redemption of man that even though man and the devil try to upset the balance, God keeps putting the balance in and thank God for it so you and I today in a world out of balance, in a world upside down, in a world against God, we can have the balance that God wants us to have. So he built a garden, put Adam and Eve down in the garden. It was perfectly balanced weather. Wasn't too hot, wasn't too cold. Perfect animals. Nobody going to eat you. Everything was fine. The food was perfectly balanced. The diet was perfectly balanced. He didn't have to work for anything. It was right there for him. The climate was perfectly balanced. Everything was a perfect balance. All things that God made when he restored that balance, put it right back where God wanted it to be. And he gave Adam and Eve a job to do. And he created a perfect balance for them because even though the earth was knocked out of its place, even though the second heaven in the universe was out of balance, God put an order to it all and reestablished a balance with Adam and Eve. But you know what happened? Genesis chapter 3, we see the fall of man. And in this time, man messed it up. And this time, man put the whole creation out of balance. Romans chapter 8 talks about how that the whole world system is screwed up because of Adam and Eve. And here we have where we're at today. Man, man wants to blame God. You ever notice how man wants to blame God for everything? You know, some little baby dies or somebody dies or something happens and, and most people don't see it and understand it, <clears throat> so they blame God for it. <clears throat> they say, why God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you allowing this to happen? Why am I going through what I'm going through? Hey, I'm going to tell you something. God's plan was never for that to happen. God's plan was a perfect balance. God never intended anybody to get cancer. God never intended anybody to ever die. God never intended never to have a funeral home or to have a graveside or to have a funeral uh, parlor or to have funerals where somebody gets up or caskets. That was never God's plan. God's plan was a perfect balance. It was man who messed it up and brought those things in. We have a tendency to blame God for everything. We have a tendency to blame God. We don't understand it. God, God has one function. You know what it is? In this messed up, screwed up world that you and I live in, you know what his job is? It's to try to put balance back in your life. It's to try to put an order in your life and everything that we do. 
People talk about, well, I, I don't know how God could ever send a man to hell. Well, I got news for you. Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 25, verse 41 says that, that hell, in God's original plan, God never intended man to go there. He says that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. He doesn't say one word about any man or any woman ever going to a place called hell. You know why men and women go to a place called hell? Because they choose to go there over the balance that God wants to give them. God never intended it. I think a lot of things are going to be clear to you once we're finished with this, whatever spiritual level you're on. I think you'll see things a little better, maybe understand them a little clearer. God's plan was a complete balance of everything, and it was man who threw it all out of balance to make it what it is today. Now, in the process of time, on the unfolding plan of God, you know what God even did when Adam and Eve messed it up? God even fixed that imbalance. He did. God brings in a way to restore that balance, at least in a partial way, because the Bible says that God's job is he's not willing that any should perish. And he knows the universe is out of balance. He knows the world is out of balance. And he knows that a man who lives in that world is out of balance. And he knows that about of balance is an abomination to God. So you know what he did? He sent his son down to die on the cross. And when he died on the cross, you know what he did? He restored the balance. Then he gave us the word of God. You know what the Word of God does? It's God's instruction. It's God's wisdom. It's God's understanding of all that's out of balance. It shows you through contrast, like we've seen in uh, the book of Proverbs. It shows you by context, like I've showed you through the whole Bible. It shows you all that's out of balance so that we as saved people can have a balance in a world that is completely out of balance. And when you leave the Word of God, you leave the things of God, you become unbalanced. We have been studying the book of Proverbs. And last week I reminded you of its main theme. A wise man and a foolish man. We've seen it all through the book of Proverbs and we'll continue to see it as we go through uh, to the chapter 31. But what you really have in Proverbs is a wise man who has a good balance and a foolish man who has a bad balance. In the, word of, in the world of psychology and psychiatry, when a person gets unstable and does some really stupid things, they, they always say, well, he's become mentally unbalanced. And the reason a child of God gets, some, gets into things and does some really stupid things is because he gets out of balance. In fact, the whole world outside of God is mentally unbalanced. It's just what level you're on, depending on what you've been with or who you've been with or what you've done, that determines your level of being unbalanced. America is an unbalanced nation. The world is an unbalanced world. America is an insane asylum that is run by the inmates. Absolutely chaos. This unbalanced or false balance is seen in everything. We get our telescopes out. We go up into a rocket ship and we study cosmology, which is the study of the cosmos, outer space. 
we find a chaotic, unstable wreck of a place. No order to it. We find dying stars, dead planets, asteroid belts that are made up of chunks of dead rock from dead planets. We find an absolute hostile world in a hostile environment. You look at the planets. You find Mercury. Mercury bears the distinction of being the hottest and the coldest planet. It's the closest to the sun. It goes around the sun 88 days, and its rotation is 88 days. So the same side always stays toward the sun, not like Earth. It changes around. On one side of Mercury that faces the sun, it's hot enough to, to, to melt lead. On the other side that's away from the sun, it's cold enough to freeze oxygen. Chaos. Absolute chaos. You want to go to Venus? Think that is a garden spot? Venus in blue jeans? Venus rains sulfuric acid 24-7. Better wear, take some skin block if you're going to go. The great gas giants like Jupiter and Saturn. The atmosphere is completely, no oxygen, completely methane. Don't let that get out. There'll be a thousand meth addicts signing up to go to those planets on the first trip to breathe meth. There's no order to it. There's chaos in everything. You look at the planet Earth, completely out of balance. It's too cold or it's too hot. The weather, they talk about global warming, that we're getting closer and closer to global warming because we've ruined the atmosphere. And they don't even know what they're talking about. They're saying the Earth is getting hotter. The Earth is getting hotter. Oh, it's global warming. It's glowing warmer. Well, that may be. That may be. But I'm going to tell you something. We're right across the street from the tribulation period. The rapture is going to happen. And when that rapture takes place, the Bible says the Earth gets seven times hotter from the sun getting seven times hotter. There's global warming for you. It's a chaos. They talk about, well, somebody says, well, the earth, no, no, the earth's getting colder. We're headed to another ice age. Well, that would be great, but we never had the first ice age. There's no ice ages in history of the earth. Somebody said, well, it was the ice age that killed off the dinosaurs. Look, we saw over there in a, in a glacier that a mastodon, a prehistoric animal, was trapped in ice that he couldn't get out of. And there's proof that ice once covered the earth. And here's this prehistoric animal that got trapped in this glacier and in the ice and there's another ice age coming. He didn't get trapped in that ice. Well, the fastest glacier that moves on this planet is eight inches a year. That's a slow-moving mastodon you got there, doctor. (laughs) Earthquakes, tsunamis, tornadoes, hurricanes, hemicanes, Volcanic eruptions, all the natural disasters that are across this planet, you hear them every day. You got droughts, you got floods, you got 40 foot of snow, you got forest fires, and it's all in a world that is unstable and chaotic as Westport on a Saturday night in June and July. Absolutely broken down. Romans 8.22 says that the whole creation, all of the creation groaneth. Because it's out of balance. It was never God's plan. We live in a world that is totally out of balance, and if you're not careful, you as the child of God will get out of balance. So this is why you got to have a balance. 
In the Bible, there are seven absolute laws which all the world runs by. And we've talked about it many, many times before. But one of those laws is the law of human collapse. The law of human collapse simply means that man left to himself will get continually worse until he destroys himself. Out of balance in all things. If you want a common, ordinary example of that, you just next time you, you go put a load of clothes in your washing machine and you don't get them all saturated white, you know what happens when your washing machine gets out of balance. I lived by myself for a long time before my mom got remarried when I was back in Ohio and I had to do all those things myself. I mean, uh, and I had to learn a lot of the hard way. And I had knew nothing about washing machines and clothes getting out of balance. But uh, one time I thought somebody was breaking into the house, ran upstairs, and there's my washing machine. Boom, 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 moving all over the place. In fact, we danced around for a little while. That's where I learned the mamba. But it was out of balance. <laughs> Go buy four tires from Scott back there and say, Scott, I want a deal on the tires. I want the best deal you can get. Put them on, but I'm not spending the money to get them balanced. See what kind of ride you get out of your car. Well, see what kind of ride you get out of life when you get out of balance. I'm telling you, this is an important message. Maybe one of the most important messages you ever heard. If God does not keep injecting himself into man through the Spirit of God, then man will collapse on him himself and destroy everything around him. Now, there's some of you Christians this morning, and I'll ask you to speak freely for a... I'm going to speak freely only two times this morning. Some of you out of fellowship this morning. And some of you out of fellowship didn't bother to come to church this morning. And the reason why you didn't come to church this morning, and the reason why some of you are sitting there wishing you wouldn't have come to church this morning at this point, is because when you come to a service like this, or really any service where somebody preaches the Bible, if you're not right with God, you get out of... You get, you get convicted. And it doesn't matter what the guy preaches on. He can preach on golden gooses and you get convicted. He can preach on whatever because the Holy Spirit of God walks up and down these aisles and he knows what's not right in your life today. So he kind of taps you on the shoulder, slaps you alongside the head, tries to get your attention. Sometimes you listen, sometimes we don't. But the bottom line is simply this. You come and hear the word of God and you get under conviction because God's speaking to you. You don't like it. You don't like it, so I'm not going back to church. You don't like it, so I'm not going to do this or I'm not going to do that. Let me tell you something, pal. You'll like it a lot less the day God takes his hand off of you and does not put you under conviction anymore. The worst thing that can happen to any child of God, anytime, any place, anywhere is for God to take his hand of, of, of chastisement off him or his hand of conviction off him and just let that guy go his own way. Amen. You know why? Because when the Holy Spirit of God stops touching you with conviction, as a saved person, you will self-destruct because the greatest thing that ever happened to you and me is for God's Holy Spirit to gnaw on you like a junkyard dog when you're not right with God. Amen. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. You see it. Because when God puts himself into man, he gives man the balance that he's lost and so desperately needs. A great example of this is, is, a, is in American history. Our founding fathers were men who, uh, for the most part, uh, believed God and believed God's word. 
They saw the importance of putting the Word of God in our Constitution. They built this country on, on biblical principles, even though I know that that's not popular today and nobody believes that anymore. That's only because you're reading the wrong books. But I'm going to tell you the reason behind that. When America was started with the pilgrims, they came over from Europe to, not because they were looking for discover a new land. They came over in 1620 because they were trying to escape the persecution of religion of the Roman Catholic Church and the Episcopal Church and all the other church states, the Lutheran Church, that were severely persecuting them. They came not looking for oil wells and fords and pickup trucks. Uh, they were, came looking for a place where they could teach their family the Bible without somebody kicking their door down in the middle of the night. Right. And when they came over here, they founded this country based on the principles of the Word of God. But right behind them came, the, came the, all the trash that would come out of Europe. And it would have been just fine if they would have just came with their Bible and done what they did. But the devil knew better than that. And right after them, he brings in the new teaching of unity, which comes in now and Unitarianism, which is going to destroy everything. So you know what God did down through history of America? He brought in seven great awakenings, revivals, down through the history of our country. When our country early on in the 1700s, when they began, the founding fathers began to be up against all this stuff, you know what God did? He brought in two preachers, Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield, that tore this little country provinces apart and got them back on track with the Word of God. It's called the First Great Awakening. And as you go down through history, in the 1800s, he gave a second great awakening. In the 1820s or the 1830s, he gave the third one in the Cumberland Valley Revival. During the Civil War in the 1860s, the Great Revival broke out with the South Southern Army in the Civil War. In the 1880s, it was Moody, D.L. Moody in, in Ohio and Illinois in the Midwest that brought about the fifth great awakening. And in the 1920s, it was Billy Sunday and some of the other great advantages that brought a great revival in the Midwest. And in the 1950s, by on the West Coast, it was Billy Graham and brother. I'm telling you what, God keep, kept injecting himself in this country because he knew that the moment God quits injecting himself into man, he loses the balance completely and he's gone. Now, I say all that to tell you this. That was the good news. Here's the bad news. God has not been injecting himself into anything in America since the 1960s or 70s. No more great revivals after the 50s. And the reason by 1960s Christianity has dumped the word of God. No more injecting, no more revival. <clears throat> and God today has taken his hand off America other than a few isolated places that still worship him and preachers that keep preaching the word of God. So when you, when you have God in your life and the Word of God in your life, you now have the ability, and I want to explain this, the ability to have the right balance that that Bible puts into your life. And God calls it a just weight in Proverbs chapter 11, and it delights God. Now I say you have the ability. Just because you're saved here this morning doesn't mean you'll have the right balance. Just because you're saved here this morning doesn't mean much of anything other than the fact that you're going to heaven. doesn't mean you're right with God. It doesn't mean you're doing what God's called you to do. You may be alibying your way through life so you don't have to do it as a saved, born-again, blood-washed Christian. And there's plenty of them around like that. 
But when you got saved and God gave you the word of God, you now have the ability. You now have the ability, listen to me, in a world that is completely out of balance, in a world that is out of its mind, in a world that is mentally unstable and imbalanced, you now, me, have the ability to have a balanced life in an unbalanced world that the light's gone. Now, the next thing I want you to understand, and let me explain the concept of a balance, understanding what it really is and what, in God's mind, in the Word of God, constitute a biblical balance. And I think this is very, very important. Now, we know that in the Bible, there are certain numbers that mean certain things. We call it Bible numerology. I understand the argument is, well, you can prove anything with numbers, and yes, you certainly can. But there are certain numbers in the Bible that are undeniable, and it, it, it steps way outside the logic that, well, you can prove anything with numbers because there are some things in the Bible and some numbers that God proves certain things by them that you can't deny. One of them is the number three. The number three in the Bible will be the number of completion. When you have three parts to everything, you have it complete, and you also have it in balance. <clears throat> so when we talk about a balance, we have to have three parts to a balance. I want you to hear me now. For something to be balanced out, you've got to have three parts. Now, I know this is elementary and probably way below your mental IQs this morning, uh, and so humor me, but the greatest example I can think of that is when we were kids at the playground with a teeter-totter. A teeter-totter is a, is a long a board where you put one person on one end and one person on the other end, and it's got a bar in the middle, and uh, you can teeter-totter back and forth, see, up and down. When you hit 20, it's kind of boring, but when you were five or six, it was the highlight of your life. <laughs> now, you know what happens. You got little Susie over here that weighs 50 pounds, and fat little Johnny weighs 90 pounds. So little Susie's always up in the air and little Johnny's down here on the ground or hold her down here. So what do you get Johnny to do? Scoot up a little bit. Well, the farther you scoot up to the middle, which is the third part of the balance, the more it balances out. The ideal is to get two people weighing 60 pounds on each side, keep them on the end and balance it in the middle. You can sit there all day long, just like that. You got one end over here, one end over here, but the third part in the middle makes the balance. Balance will always have three parts to it. Then you need to understand that. Understanding this, as elementary as it may be, understanding this will be key to our getting a biblical balance in our lives. Now, for a Christian, this is why the Bible is so vital. And I know I hammer you with the Bible all the time. I try to do everything, provide everything for you to get you the Bible and, and, and keep the Bible before you. And I do that simply because I understand how absolutely vital the Bible is in your life and having the, having the, having the balance. It ain't enough just to get saved. You got to have the balance of getting the Word of God. And when you get the Word of God into your life, now you're balanced. You see, the Bible is a supernatural book, no question about it. But it's more than a supernatural book because the, balance, the Bible provides every balance in life on all levels that you have to face. I don't know of any problem in life that you're going to come up against. I don't know of any problem in life that you're going to have to deal with in your family, in your personal life, in your marriage, in your kids, whatever, in your job, in your situation, in the world, in the work, wherever you're at. I have never found, after 40-plus years in the ministry, 
a problem that you and I are faced with that you don't find how to balance that out by going to that book. And you want to have a a life that is problem-free for the most part, and even when you have problems, you don't have to worry about it because you know what the balance is. Get into the Bible. That's the key. That's why I preach it. That's why I believe it. The Bible is the complete mind of God. We know that. And it forms for us the complete balance that God is. And when you get it, it makes all the difference in the world. Now, this is the second time I'm going to just speak to you here for a minute. Let's be honest and face some facts. Let's just let's talk for a second. It's okay. Nobody's mad at you. Everybody loves you. It doesn't matter. And I know this is the end of 2014 going into 2015, so Happy New Year, and this ought to maybe bring you along to make some things change for next year. If you didn't have a balance this year, maybe you want to really get on it this way. Look around your life. Get honest this morning and look around in your own personal life first, and then look around you and and, and, and at work and wherever you go, in your neighborhood, the people that you know, and, and, and just see the families that have put the balance in their lives and the ones who haven't. Look at their kids. You may not like them, but there are certain things about people, no matter whether you like them or don't like them, you can't deny. A lot of people don't like me. <laughs> A lot of people don't. But I'm telling you something. No matter if, when you don't like somebody and God's got their hand on his life, that's probably the reason why you don't like them. But you may not like the person, but you cannot deny what God is doing in a person's life. I mean, the fact that I don't like him, I don't like her, I don't like this person, I like that. But you can't get around the fact that God is doing something with them that he's not doing with you. Here's the problem. Look at their kids, look at their marriage, look at their lives. Look at their growth. Sure, they're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. But God is doing something with them. Just look around you at the people who care nothing for God or God's word. And they're good people. I'm not talking about some hunchback motorcycle guy with fire blinging out his nose. I'm talking about I'm talking about good people who just don't care anything about God. And look at them versus the ones who do. See the difference. A blind man could see it. One's in balance and one's out of balance. The Bible will make a difference in your life. I wish it was easy that you just went to the bookstore and bought a Bible when you bought it and paid your money. Your life changed. That would be so neat. But it doesn't work that way. You have to take the Word of God and do something with it. You have to recognize that the Bible is the balance that we need. And when you get the Bible in your life, it makes a difference. It, it gives you, somebody says, well, how does, the make, how does the Bible make a difference? It gives you the balance that you need. Because we're out of balance in a world that's out of balance, in a universe that's out of balance. And there needs to be order in the universe. But that ain't going to happen until Christ comes back. There needs to be order in this world. That ain't going to happen until Christ comes back. And there needs to be order in your life and my life. And thank God that can happen today. If you get in that book, it'll change your life. It'll change your family. It'll change your relationships. 
it'll change everything about you because it's the balance that you and I need in an unbalanced world. Now, I want to, over the next couple of weeks, I want to I go through and show you how the Bible is a complete balance in probably three or four, maybe five different areas. We're going to probably look at two today. And I, I want to show you how the Bible is a complete balance in three or four or five areas that will affect you directly. And I said earlier, this is probably the single most important set of lessons that you're ever going to hear. I mean, it's basic, it's fundamental, there's nothing magical about it, there's nothing earth-shattering about it. It just, it, 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 it does what life really is, brings it right down to where it's at. And remember, a balance has to have three parts, and these three parts make it complete and make it balanced. Now, we're going to stop at the top and work down here. I will look at a couple of different areas today. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you listen and apply yourself, I don't really care what spiritual level you're on. You may be somebody who just walked in our church, doesn't know anything about the Bible. You're going to learn some things today. You may be somebody who's been around here and you're maybe at a mid-level. You're going to learn some things today. And you may be somebody that's been around for a long time and have a great handle on the Word of God, but you know what? Even you're going to learn some things today. Now, let's start with God. I don't know where else to start at the top. He is the top, so we'll start with him. And God, he's a perfect balance. And when we think about God, we think about the Trinity. You might know it'd be three. We think about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, why did God do it that way? Now, I know, I know, I know the standard answer, and it's true. God is a spirit. We can't see God. So God manifests himself in the form of a man to identify with man. I get it. I understand it, and that's absolutely true. But there's more to it than that. There's a reason why God, when he thought and put together how he was going to display himself as a perfect balance, he did it the way he did it because even in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, God wanted to project a balance. Now, let's talk about God, the concept of God. God is recognized as a supreme being everywhere in the world. Now, it may not be the true God, but my point is the concept of God. We know that there was a true God, and there's only a true God, and then there's all the other phony God. We know that. We know that to be a fact. But all the other phonies had to come because there was one time an absolute real one that was the only one. We know that too. So my, my, what I'm saying is that when God wanted to present himself to man, the first form he chose was a supreme being that would be in man's mind and be a presence in everything that man did. When you go to, when you, it was an impact that, 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 that man has never gotten over. When you go to Washington, D.C., and the Congress has their beginning of the new year or the Senate, they always have somebody come in and opens in prayer. And in essence, what they're doing is they're invoking God's, God's uh, approval and God's help in the decision that they got to make. Now, I got to tell you, those preachers, they're not allowed to talk about Jesus Christ. 
but they can talk about God because God is a universal concept. And when God portrayed himself as God the Father, he set down a supreme final authority that all men would look at in everything they do. And even in the in the government, as screwed up as it is, they recognize, it may be totally off base, but they recognize the concept of a supreme being. Man needs that. He needs that. God knew that man needed a concept of a supreme, absolute being that at some time in life was going to bring everything in question and going to judge it. And that's why he chose that. And everybody recognizes that. Everybody does. Man needs an absolute final rule of authority to keep him on track. And God the Father is a supreme being that all people recognize one way or the other. And the, and the, and the concept of God in that form sets up the bounds of absolute right and wrong, the, the laws that we have. The world says, there ain't no God. Atheists say, there ain't no God. Government says, we want to have you pray and ask God's blessing. When every president gets on and he says his speech, what's the last thing he says? And God bless America. Everybody understands it. An atheist says, there is no God. Come on. That's just a lot of verbiage that you want to put out. You know there's a God. First of all, he's the true light that lighteth every man to come into the world. You want me to believe because you have rejected him that you in your mind say there is no God when I know there is. Well, how do you know I know about God? Because every other word out of your mouth brings his name into it. The stupidest thing in the world is a man who don't believe in God then he's going to cuss in God's name. Now, let me just ask you this. Why is it God's name? Did you ever hear a Muslim put Allah's name in a cuss word? Allah, damn you. It just doesn't ring. Why is it that any unsaved man who claims there is no God in a world that denies God, when you want to add weight to your filthy talk, you call on the highest name on the planet that represents a supreme authority being and you got to bring God into it or Jesus Christ into it? Jesus Christ was a prophet. Muhammad was a prophet. Muhammad you. Doesn't mean anything. Amen. That's right. I mean, if you're going to get good cussing out, Allah and Muhammad ain't going to get the job done. And I'm not suggesting you do that. Don't miss my point. My point is, there's one name given above every name. One name given among men whereby we must be saved. And when God manifested himself, he manifested himself in the form of God the Father first because man needs an absolute supreme being that is a rule of law and a rule of authority for him. Then it's God the Son, Jesus Christ. Now this is the great one. God can be intimidating. Scary, because he's so all-powerful, all-knowing. He's everywhere at once. So 
God wants to have a relationship with us. He's a supreme being, but he, he wants to have a personal relationship with you. And he know that he couldn't do that through the concept of the supreme being. So God took on the form of a man, his son, an earthly man, a man that we could understand, a man who walked just like you do, a man who had a job just like you do, a man who had parents just like you do, a man who had, and what he did by that is a couple of things. First of all, he made a way that you and I can have the fellowship with him that he so desperately desires. But the second thing he did is to show you and me the model for my relationship with God. Because there isn't anything that Jesus Christ doesn't do that's not a model in his relationship with God that isn't the model for my relationship with God. He's his son. I'm his son. Now, most religions play on the concept that God is unreachable. They'll hold out there, well, you can't really know God because you're just an imbecile. But I know God because I'm spiritual. So you come to me, and I'll tell you all that God wants you to know. I'm going to tell you something. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible, yes, is a supreme being, but he made a way that you and I could have a relationship with him, that you can get access to him anytime you want. And the model is found in his son. In other words, he took on himself a model of himself in a form of a son that might give us the model of how I can get to God. He's not scary. He's not unapproachable. People want you to believe that so they can control you. God is every man's friend who wants, to, who wants to fellowship with man. You don't need me for that. You don't need the church for that. You need a church and a preacher to help you understand some things about God, get you to the place where you can find a relationship with God, and then teach you about God and the Bible on an ongoing level, but get out of your world when it comes to you and God and what you have. Sure. You stay out of mine, I'll stay out of yours. I don't want any yours. It's you and him. I don't want you in mine. It's me and him. Because I talk about you sometimes. I don't want you to know what I say. But I know you talk about me, but the difference is I got a better relationship. He tells me what you say about me. No, I'm just That's how it works. Then you got the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, now, it's our guide to get us to God. And he, he, what he does, that once we get saved and the Holy Spirit of God is in us, he bears witness with your soul and your spirit and God and the Word of God, and that keeps us on track with God and forms for us the perfect balance that God wants us to have between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16, but by way of information, the greatest chapter in the whole Bible that tells you what the Holy Spirit of God does. And he does seven things in that chapter. Now, you see how that works? That forms the balance. All right, the second thing, let's talk about Christ for a moment. We know him as the Lord. We know him as Jesus. We know him as Christ. But his complete name and title is the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Christ might know it was three. Each one of them 
represents the same man, but each one of them represents something different about him. And if you're going to have a complete balance in your understanding of Christ, the Son of God, you've got to understand those three titles. That's how it works. There's three parts to every balance. Three parts to his name. Now you take the word Lord. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. Take the word Lord. That's his deity. That's his deity. That's a reference to him being very God. That's a reference to him being equal with God, the Son of God. You take the name Jesus. That's his earthly name. That's as he was portrayed as the, not the Son of God, but as the Son of Man. That's God's earthly manifestation of him. That's his earthly ministry. That's him as the Messiah to the nation of Israel. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 36 sometime. When they have to make the repentance of the fact that they crucified their Messiah, you know whose name they got to repent into and be baptized in? The name of Jesus. Because they rejected the earthly man that God sent them that represented their Messiah. So you got the Lord, Jesus, then you have Christ. Christ is the anointed one. Christ is the anointed one, anointed in the sense of, a, of the Old Testament uh, priest where he has a specific task, so he's anointed with oil uh, to accomplish that task. So you have the Lord, that's God, Jesus, the earthly man, Christ, the anointed one, that's going to do the work that God wanted him to do. Now, you see, there's three aspects to it. You want to get the concept of balance of who he is? He's the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, let's look at it a little bit closer. He's the Lord. That makes him king because he's God. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, 16 calls him king of kings and lord of lords. All right, he's the Lord Jesus. Jesus is the prophet. That's his prophesying about future prophecy. Revelation chapter 19, 10 says that the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus Christ. So when he was on this earth, he was a prophet. Muhammad claims to be a prophet. Joe Smith claimed to be a prophet. All prophets like the Lord Jesus Christ, but they were false prophets. There's only one prophet that ever came from God, and that was the man Jesus. So when you read in history and you get in history and somebody says, well, Christ was a prophet, that's true. And they say, well, Muhammad was also a prophet. That's not true. But it shows you that the earthly man, Jesus, represents the prophet. Christ had three offices. He was a king, he was a priest, and he was a prophet. He had those three offices, and they match up to the three parts of his name. The Lord, that is his, that is his deity. He's king. The prophet, that's his earthly ministry as the prophet. And then he's a priest. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, that his priesthood is an eternal priesthood. It's a priesthood that you and I get born into the moment we get saved, and uh, we're, uh, we're, we're also a priest this morning. You see, because the only other man in the Bible that had all three offices was David. David was a priest, king, and a prophet. Saul tried to do it, and God killed him for it. Only two men in the Bible that have those three offices. One of them's David, the other one's Christ. And now there's a third one. You might know there has to be a third one. You know who the third one is? It's you and me. If you're saved this morning, you're a priest, you're a prophet, Someday you're going to be a king. Oh, yeah, man. Oh, it'll work. It'll work. When you get all three of those things in your life and you understand them, now you're balanced. 
I don't mean this wrong. I, I, I don't mean this wrong at all. And I cut a lot of people slack, but we're talking this morning and we want to be exact with the Bible. I hear people all the time, God's people saying, well, Jesus Christ is my king. I, I, I got to tell you, he's not my king. Now, you, you almost want to repent saying that. It sounds so bad. But the question comes down, how exact do you want to be with the Bible? You know why he's not my king? Because I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I'm a king with him. He's not my king. We have a kingship together. Romans chapter 8. But when you don't know the Bible, don't have the balance, you say things like that, which, and I'm not fighting it. If somebody said that, I'd never go up and correct them. But I want to tell you, I ask you the question, how much error do you want to have in what you do with the Bible? That's the question. Me? I don't want any. Do I have some? Plenty. How much do I want? None. But how much do I have? More than I need. I'll give you some after the service this morning and get it off my back. But the bottom line is you have to be exact when it comes to the Scriptures. And that forms the balance. It forms the balance. You and I have the same three offices. All right, let's look at the Holy Spirit of God. Again, John chapter 16 is the great chapter on the Holy Spirit. Seven things that He does. We don't have time to get into it this morning. I've designed this message so we can pick up the pieces of it on Thursday night Bible study if you want to know. Now, the study of the Holy Spirit of God, you might know, would be in three aspects. Where Jesus Christ is priest, prophet, and king. And uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord Jesus Christ. And God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You want to have a perfect balance with the Holy Spirit of God, you've got to study it three ways. You've got to look at the work of the Holy Spirit of God, the perfect person of the Holy Spirit of God, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. There's three. There's three. Now, when you get this down and understand it, then you've got to balance. There'll be times in your, in your Bible when you get over there to a place like Romans chapter 8, verse 16, and it's talking about the Holy Spirit of God, and it calls him an it. I get a thousand questions over the years. Why is the Holy Spirit of God in Romans 8, 16 called it? Why isn't it a he? Why is it it? Know what the standard teaching is? It's a mistranslation. You know, that's not a mistranslation. The guy that told you it was a mistranslation, he's a mistranslation. It's not a mistranslation. You know why it's it in Romans chapter 8? Because it's dealing with the work of the Holy Spirit of God. And in the Bible, where you find it dealing with the work of the Holy Spirit of God, it'll always be it. When you find it dealing with he, it'll be the person. And when you find it dealing with the Holy Ghost anywhere in the Bible, it'll dealing with the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. That's why. Three. You want the balance? There it is. There it is. When you get to a passage, you do find one of these three references. To him, it will show you the context of what the Holy Spirit of God is all about. And understanding these things form the balance. Now, the fourth thing. You take the Word of God. Complete and balanced. Three parts to the Word of God. An Old Testament, a New Testament. That's only two. There's got to be a third. And that Christ is the third part. He's the Word incarnate. And 99% of the preachers in this city or this country and uh, and 99% of God's people can't get what I'm about to say to you. You can't separate God from the Bible. 
When you understand the complete balance and you see this thing as I'm laying it out, there is no way you can separate God from the Bible. The Word of God uh, is God uh, in, a, in a human form, just like Christ was God in a human form when he came to this earth. The balance of seeing the Word of God as it really truly is today. 2 Corinthians 11.4 says, Whoso preaches another Jesus, let him be what? Accursed. Whoso preacheth another Jesus, let him be accursed. But if you give people another Bible, you're a Bible scholar. Now, I'm just a simple guy. I got one Bible here that says one thing, one Bible here that disagrees in 60,000 places. Are they both the Word of God? He says, if you have another Jesus, let him be accursed. Well, if the Word of God is Jesus, if you only have one Jesus... Gee, it just seems like it would be you only have one Bible. But that's probably just me. The balance of seeing the Word of God as it is, and it's about as simple as it gets. Now you take the Old Testament. You want a balance in getting the Old Testament down? It will be a balance of three things. When you study the Old Testament, you're going to find the Old Testament is divided into the law, the writings, and the prophets. The law will be the first five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The writings will be Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Solomon, Solomon, Job, Ruth, and Esther. And then the prophets will be all the rest of the books, the major and the minor prophets. Study the Old Testament within that structure format, and you'll come away with a good balance in the Old Testament because that's how God divided it up. Three, it forms the balance. Now, you say, well, I want to get the New Testament down. Okay, you want a good balance in the New Testament? God breaks it down into three forms. He has the Gospels, Acts, and the Epistles. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Acts, the book of Acts, and the Epistles, the rest of the books. Three. See, there's natural divisions in that Bible. We know that. We've studied it many, many times, rightly dividing the word of truth. When you divide it up properly the right way, you get the right balance. When you divide it up the wrong way, you get the wrong balance. My job... The job of this church is simply to get a good balance in the Bible and help you get there so you have the right balance because I'm telling you, the key to the balance in your life is the most balanced book God ever gave you. Seventh thing, you want a really good balance in, in the Bible, do you? You heard me say it many, many times. The Bible has three applications to it. There's a doctrinal application, there's a historical application, there's an inspirational application. And you'll see it all the time. Some preachers, are they're good on the practical, but they have no history and they have no doctrine. You find a lot of guys like that. And you get some good stuff from them, but they're out of balance. Some preachers, they have a great on history, but they have no practical and no doctrine. They're the most boring guys to listen to you ever heard in your life, because that's all like a history lesson. Some preachers can lay it out in all three. Because the doctrine in the Bible is like the spark plugs in an engine. It makes it come alive. It makes it fire. It makes it work. It makes it run. The doctrinal application will always be the future or prophecy that's connected in the Bible. The historical will be the actual historical events as they happen. The inspirational will be how it applies to you in your life as you go through life every day. To have a balance in the Bible, you have to have these three. This is absolutely necessary in getting a good balance and laying out the Bible. When you get to the point in your life that 80% of the Word of God, you can sit down and put doctrinally, historically, and inspirationally, you're, you got the Bible down. I'll leave you 20% of stuff that's tough in there. But I'm telling you, 
That's, that's imperative to understand that. The next thing. Now you look into the book of Proverbs and re- the rest of the Bible. We've been studying the book of Proverbs. You get a balance in life that nobody else would ever have. Proverbs defines for you what a balance in a Christian life is. And you know what it is? We've talked about it many times already. I've said it almost every week. The book of Proverbs provides three things to you that form the balance in your life of understanding everything around you. The first one is knowledge. That's facts about something. The second one is wisdom. That's how you apply the facts and what you're going to do. The third one is understanding. That's how God fits into the equation. When you get those three in your life, you now have discernment when it comes to God. You have, you, have, you have perspective when it comes to God. You have the context when it comes to God. And you have the discretion when it comes to the things of God. That's a balance. You now have the insight to look uh, through understanding of what God is doing either globally, like the war in the Middle East. Most people see it and they think it's over oil or they think it's about this dictator or this nation wanting to take this nation or this nation wanting to do this. They think it's because Iran wants to get a nuclear bomb and nobody else wants them to have it. They think that Putin is coming down to take over the Crimea because he wants to regain what Russia's glory once was and it's all gone days with Stalin. All that stuff. But you know what? That's not that's, that's what it is. When you look at it through the understanding and the wisdom and the facts of God, you realize that all that's taking place globally around you is God setting everything up for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's understanding. Now, it'll work like that in a global thing, but it'll work like that in your life. Tomorrow you go to work, you're faced with an issue. Tomorrow you got to work, somebody's got a problem with you. Tomorrow you go to work or you go out into life or you do this or do that and you're faced with some crucial decision you got to make or some heartache or something that happens or something that goes down, you know, instead of going to the, you know, to the, the palm reader or going to the, you know, people with the, to talk, read your tea leaves and in the in places that tell you all that, you go to a book that tells you exactly what the bang, bon, bottom line is and you put that in your life. That's what makes it work for you. You have the insight now. That forms a balance. It forms the balance. Now, the next thing. You want to get your Bible balanced out so you don't get into any heresy, do you? Well, then you realize that your Bible's written to three people groups. The Bible's written to the Jew. The Bible's written to the Gentile. The Bible's written to the church. Now, all the Bible is written, you've heard me say this a thousand times, all the Bible is written for you, but not all the Bible is written directly to you. He says some things to the nation of Israel that he doesn't say directly to you. And it's important for you to understand which it is, and that gives you the balance. Now, this is one of the biggest issues today in churches uh, that you get caught up into, and it shows you that there's no depth in anything in the Bible today. The three hardest books in your Bible, you might know there'd be three. The three hardest books in your Bible are Matthew, Acts, and Hebrews. And when you look at those three books and you put them into perspective, you see that Matthew deals with the history of the Jews up to the crucifixion. Acts deals with the Acts of the Apostles and the early ancient of Israel after that, and then the establishment of the church after the crucifixion. And then you find that from the rest of the books down through it, uh, from Hebrews on, transitions you back out into the tribulation period. Those three books, the way they lay out, are key books in your Bible that form the balance. But who sees that today? Now, you want to keep the plan of God in your life in balance? Well, then you get the three areas that make it complete and balanced. 
to line up with the three people groups I just gave you. In Revelation chapter 21 and 22, you got a new heavens, you got a new earth, you got a new Jerusalem. Now, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 talks about God's eternal government. We've studied it many, many times, and it's in book form back there. It's on tape. You get all the material you want on it. That's not my point today to lay all that out. My point today is to tell you this. The balance in the Bible is based prophetically on those three, three places, based with those three people groups. And that, in a small way, shows you the absolute balance that God has in the Bible. God is a perfect balance. The Word of God is a perfect balance. And when you take and get the perfect balance of God and who He is, what He does, and I could have spent, I could have spent an hour on each one of them today. I'm just walking you through, showing you the, how, what the balance is, where it's at, how important it is, because the Bible says that a false balance is an abomination to God. But a just weight is his delight. And we live in an unbalanced world. The world is upside down. Everything about it is cockeyed and wrong and and messed up. But you and I, God has provided a way for you and for me living in this world of unbalanced to have a balanced life. And we either will or we won't. Now, you see how it works? There's a simple, basic understanding of how God and what he does and the Bible itself forms the perfect balance in our life. Way back when, when God started it out, devil messed it up. And God said, well, not going to stop me. I'll just use what he did, and I'll bring a balance, and I'll put man down there in the garden, and I'll give that man a balance. And then man messed it up. And God said, oh, not going to stop my plan. So he brought Christ down, gave us the word of God, and you and I today in a world that is chaos, in a world that is upside down, in a world that doesn't understand right from wrong anymore, in a world that is completely out of balance, you and I have the ability of God's people to have a balance in our life. But it comes back to this book and every detail of it. There is no thing, nothing in this Bible that is not important. There's lots of things that we don't know. Probably lots of things we'll never get to but the Lord come, before the Lord comes back. But I'm going to tell you, everything is in here for a reason. Whatever you're struggling with in your life, whatever you're going through, whatever heartache, whatever problem, whatever trial, whatever you're dealing with, you don't have to go to the world. You don't have to go to someone who can tell you your future uh, and tell you what it's going to You've got a book right here that will give you the absolute balance in your life. Spend the time learning it. Get whatever it takes. We'll help you. That's what we're here for. Fundamentally, you talk about the church, the pastor of a church, my job, it's only fundamentally for one reason. That is to help put back the balance in your life that was taken out at one point. Because the only way you're going to get that balance in is to get into the Word of God and then see how it balances out. Over the next couple of weeks, today we talked about God and the Bible. Over the next couple of weeks, I want to talk about the balance in ministry. I'm going to talk about the balance in churches. I'm going to talk about the balance in your family, the balance in your marriage, the balance in your life, the balance of everything that you face, every issue that comes into your life. I'm going to show you and take you how, where the balance is that balances it all out. When you balance it out, you understand it. When you balance it out, you don't have to be afraid of it. When you balance it out, you don't have to wonder about it. You don't have this big X over your head of the unknown. Because that's what the Bible does. It takes an upside-down world. It takes an out-of-balance world. And in it makes your world 
perfectly balanced. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I said earlier that no matter what level you're on, if you just got saved or you've been a young Christian for a long time or you're midline or you're someone that's been around forever, you now fully understand this is going to be of value to you. My advice to you is to learn everything you can. Ask every question you need to ask. If it means you schedule a time to come in and see me or you bring up some of the larger things on Thursday night, whatever it takes, the job is to help you get a balance in your life. That's all we're here for. We don't care about your money. We don't care about your problems. We don't care about anything you're going through because we know that at the end of the day, the Bible has the answers to it. You bring them to us, we'll take it to the book, and we'll find the balance. Because every time down through history, something went sideways, upside down, that threw God's plan into chaos. God simply regroups, takes the chaos, and out of it brings order and gives us the balance. You can have the balance in your life. You do not have to go through life unbalanced unless you just simply want to. Now, Father, we thank you and praise you today for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the good folks that have come out. Thank you for all the things that you've given us. And we pray, Father, as we look at this great passage here, Lord, this great verse, help us to understand. We just finished 2014 and we're moving into 2015. Help us, Father. Help us to get to the point where we really do uh, be everything that God wants us to be. There's a work for us to do. This church has a work that it needs to accomplish. And Lord, even though there's many people that don't want to do the work, Lord, we are mandated to do the work. So help us in all that we do, and we'll give you the honor and the glory. And help me to help these people find that balance, keep that balance, and maintain that balance. And over the next couple of weeks, may we find the keys to it all that we see that the hardest thing we ever have to do is to keep that balance. But then, Lord, give us the keys to show us the best way to keep it. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Bless today as we go out and all that we endeavor to do for you. In Jesus' name, for sake we ask it. Amen. God bless you. I'll call you back in about five minutes, and we'll get set up for restart today. <laughs>